Welcome to the Stand By My Servants podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree, professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University, explores the lives and teachings of the members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. As we examine the lives and teachings of these leaders, our lives can be edified, enriched, and spiritually strengthened. Now here is your host, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree. Well, everyone, I am definitely excited to be here today because when we talk about General Conference, especially the context of our Living Prophets class, it is like the Super Bowl, right? I mean, this is Super Bowl, and we're all ready, and we're all hyped about it. I thought it'd be fun to begin by just giving you some historical perspectives about General Conference. There's some interesting things to talk about here. For example, the first General Conference of the church was June the 9th, 1830. We had 27 members participate in that first General Conference. In April of 1844, General Conference was interesting for several reasons. First, it was the last conference that Joseph Smith presided. And second, it was the first conference of instruction. Prior conferences had been business meetings. Now, isn't that interesting to think that in the early days of the church, between 1830 and 1844, that every general conference was a business meeting. That's just hard to even comprehend, isn't it? In 1867, general conference lasted for four days instead of the usual three days. The congregation actually voted to stay an extra day. This was also the first general conference held in the tabernacle. So once again, remember, it's 1867. The saints arrive in the Salt Lake Valley, 1847, 1848, And so here we are almost 20 years later, and to think that general conferences would have been outside in like a Bowery or something like that. And so in 1867, we have it in the tabernacle, and then from that point on, up until the year 2000, every general conference, for the most part, is held in the tabernacle. Now here's another interesting thing to think about. It was 1924 when microphones were used in general conference for the first time. So prior to that, if you were speaking in general conference, you had to project your voice in a way that everyone could hear. And I could not even imagine, I think I would wear out pretty quick as a speaker if I had to project my voice like that. So that was 1924. And 1949 was the very first time that general conference was broadcast on television. And then in 1967, it was the first time under the direction of President David O. McKay, the conference was broadcast in color. And then, in April of 1975, General Conference was transmitted by satellite. Now, once again, think about that for a minute. If you live in Georgia, if you live in, you know, Oregon, if you live in the Midwest, if you live, you know, in some foreign country, you're not watching General Conference live on TV until 1977 unless you found some incredible way to get KSL from where you lived. Uh, In fact, we know that a lot of people that lived in faraway places, General Conference was videotaped. Those videotapes were shipped out to them, and, and then they were able to watch it that way, but they weren't able to watch it live. And so having those huge satellite dishes that we saw for so many years at our stake centers was really an incredible blessing. Today, General Conference is translated in 92 languages. The Conference Center can hold 21,000 people, and that first conference was held in 2000. 
1840 was the first time that conference began to be held semi-annually, or in other words, twice a year. Conference sessions were viewed beyond the Intermountain West. About 1953 is when they started going a little broader that way. Internet availability began in 1999 for General Conference. And conference messages were first translated into different languages in 1962. Now, I'm going to tell you that let's talk about the buildings conferences were held in just for a minute. And then I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to come back to the internet. Open air bowries in Salt Lake, 1848 to 1852. Capacity was usually around 8,000 comfortable. And then the old Salt Lake Tabernacle from 1852 to 1867 is built. It holds 2,500 people, so a lot less than when you're outdoors. And then the Tabernacle, uh, when it was remodeled in 1967 to 2000, about 13,000. Before the renovation in 2007, 7,500. So they were able to double it. And then, like I said, 21,000 in the conference center. Let's talk about the internet for a minute. Because in 1999, we have internet transmission. And then we start to have the talks come out later. But before that, you know, because we know the internet starts breaking ground in the early 90s. And, and all through, let's say, 92 to maybe 99, there are internet transcriptions of conference talks that you can find and download but can you trust those, right? I mean, who's putting those together? There was really no, uh, no way to, to correlate or coordinate or go through a vetting process with those talks. And so that was kind of interesting. I remember receiving copies of general conference talks in the mid-90s, but you had no idea where it came from or who transcribed it, you know. Some of you may not know, some people may not know this, but in 1919, with the Spanish flu epidemic, conference was postponed from April to June of that year. And then there was another flu ep- epidemic in 1957 in the October con- during the October conference. And at that time, they just, canceled, they just canceled the conference altogether. They just didn't have a conference again until April of 1958. So for those of us who have been through the COVID experience, watching conference broadcast uh, in a studio setting, so to speak, that was miraculous because years earlier they just either had, a, had to delay it or to just cancel it. All right, so it's pretty cool to think about, you know, some of these, some of these wonderful, wonderful data points, you know. Now the conferences, now the, now the general conferences are translated into many, many different languages. I know in 2012, over... Half a million households were tuned into General Conference. Um, many people are streaming conference now. It's incredible that people from all over the world can actually watch conference live, once again because of the internet. And that it wasn't that way before, you know. So really wonderful technology here to bless our lives today. Here's Elder Holland setting the scene for us. Our times are turbulent and difficult. We see wars internationally and distress domestically. Neighbors all around us face personal heartaches and family sorrows. Legions know fear and troubles of a hundred kinds. This reminds us that when those mists of darkness enveloped the travelers in Lehi's vision of the tree of life, it enveloped all of the participants, the righteous as well as the unrighteous, the young along with the elderly, the new convert and the seasoned member alike. 
In that allegory, in that allegory, Elder Holland says, all face opposition and travail, and only the rod of iron, the declared word of God, can bring them safely through. And we all need that rod. We all need that word. No one is safe without it, for in its absence, any can fall away into forbidden paths and be lost. So how grateful we are to have heard God's voice and have felt the strength of that iron rod in this conference, he said, the past two days. Now, one of the things I love to ask my students is, what are some of your conference traditions? What does your family do for conference? And as you can imagine, most of that dialogue centers around food. Everyone has some kind of food tradition for general conference, which I think is wonderful. We have that too. But I also love the tradition of processing the conference. When I hear of families who say, yes, not only do we watch conference, but we process it. And this, uh, this is a wonderful tradition, right? To really help conference seep deep into our hearts. This actually reminds me of a funny story years ago told by one of my students. He was a married student, and he'd been married for a short time. And he grew up on the East Coast. And where he grew up, general conference was just a big thing in their stake. In fact, even just years ago, it wasn't long ago, but it was not unusual in his stake to have the members gathered together at the stake center to watch general conference, to take notes, to be dressed in suits and ties and dresses, to, between every session, have like some kind of social activity, dinner, interaction with members of the stake. And general conference was just a big deal. You came to all the Saturday sessions, you came on, on Sunday, and that's how you watched conference. Well, after they'd been married for just a few months, his wife said, hey, you know what? I think we should go watch General Conference with my family. And his wife lived a little ways away. Uh, It wasn't like right here in Provo, but they had to drive several hours to get there, which they did. He was excited to go. He was kind of anticipating the same kind of General Conference atmosphere that he had experienced in his adolescence and childhood and on the East Coast. And when he arrived, he was just in shock. The general conference experience at his wife's home was really more like a Super Bowl party uh, where there was food out and people talking and visiting. General conference was on in the background, but really no one was watching it. And this went on for two days. (laughs) And on the way home, he said, we probably got in one of the biggest fights we've ever gotten into because he just told his wife, look, I'm never going to watch General Conference with your family ever again. And of course, she was offended because in her mind, her family had a great a great way that they watched General Conference together, and they really never came to an agreement on that. But once again, it's a reminder of how every family may approach General Conference differently. As we get into some of the purposes of General Conference, let me share with you this from Elder Holland. He said, a General Conference of the Church is a declaration to all the world that Jesus is the Christ, that he and his father, the God and father of us all, appeared to the boy prophet Joseph Smith in fulfillment of that ancient promise that the resurrected Jesus of Nazareth would again restore his church on the earth. You know, another statement is from President Howard W. Hunter. I've always liked this. In fact, I remember still the talk that he gave called Conference Time many, many years ago. But he said that conference time is a season of spiritual revival when knowledge and testimony are increased and solidified that God lives and blesses those who are faithful. Conference is the time when our leaders give us inspired direction 
in the conduct of our lives, a time when our souls are stirred, our resolutions are made, and resolutions are made to be better husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, more obedient sons and daughters, better friends and neighbors. President Spencer W. Kimball added that the purpose of a conference is to worship the Lord, to feast upon the Word of Christ, to build up faith and testimony. And he said, and the purpose of this conference is that we may refresh our faith, strengthen our testimonies, and learn the ways of the Lord from His duly appointed servants. You know, one of the things that we struggle with with our own children, and it wasn't that they were bad during conference, it's just that they were normal kids and they would get restless after a while, and I totally understand that. But I did want them to know that this was different than just watching television from our living room. That we wanted them to come and participate in a way that where they felt like they were sitting in the chapel. And I would help I would want to help them understand the the significance of the conference. This wasn't just like pull up a pillow and a blanket and curl up and fall asleep while the speakers are speaking. And I always felt that if they understood the real purpose of conference, that that would help them uh, pay closer attention and take it more serious, which they did do. So look at listen to Doctrine and Covenants 43, verses 8 and 9. Behold, I give you unto you a commandment that when you are assembled together, all right, so general conference fits into that category, you shall instruct and edify each other that you may know how to act and direct my church. And how to act upon the points of my law and commandments, which I have given. In other words, part of the reason for coming together in a conference is to be instructed and edified and know how to act and know how to lead, to know how to direct the church. And then in verse 9, and thus ye shall become instructed in the law of my church. So we meet to become instructed in the Lord's law and to be sanctified by that which ye have received. The words of the living prophets can cleanse us to be sanctified, and then to bind ourselves to act in all holiness before me. Or in other words, to listen to the conference and to participate, even from home. We are binding ourselves, that's a covenant, to act in holiness, it says. And once again, that's why I was never comfortable for a teenage son or daughter to walk into our living room as we watch General Conference to curl up in a ball with a blanket and to pass out and lie in a coma for the next three hours, right? Because there's some great significance that happens at at our general conferences. Now, there are several purposes to every conference that I want to share with you. Number one, the purpose of a conference is to transact church business. And there are often occasions where that needs to be done. In fact, those things are done at almost every conference. Number two, to receive reports and church statistics and to comment on true merit or, let's say, progress. It was President David O. McKay who said that such reports as given in general conference inform the membership of the general conditions of the church, whether the church is progressing or retrogressing, economically, ecclesiastically, or spiritually. So number two is to receive those reports. Number three is to approve or to disapprove, we would say sustain, the names of those who are presented to us for a sustaining vote. Number four, to receive revelation, inspired instruction, and counsel. And then number five, to proclaim the gospel to the world. Like Elder Holland once said, I hope there are non-members out there listening to our general conference. He said they better be. I think that's a great statement. And then number six, to bring about spiritual revival. 
and personal rededication. And I know that many of us feel that way. I know that as a bishop, I know that uh, serving in different church callings, I always welcome General Conference. It was like a time of great healing and renewal. And for all of us who are busy and have a lot going on in our lives, and just with all the chaos in the world, it is refreshing to sit back and to listen and take some notes and to hear living prophets speak and testify of the gospel of Jesus Christ and of the Savior and of the, of the restoration of the gospel. Now here's President Howard W. Hunter again. He said that our modern-day prophets have encouraged us to make the reading of the conference editions of our church magazines an important and regular part of our personal study. Thus, general conference becomes, in a sense, a supplement to or an extension of the Doctrine and Covenants. And in addition to the conference issues of the church magazines, the First Presidency writes monthly articles that contain inspired counsel for our welfare. Well, another verse to consider is from the Book of Mormon, and it's King Benjamin and his people. It's Mosiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. Now, this is an address given by King Benjamin to his people, but we can kind of liken it in some ways to what it must be like to gather for general conference. And it does tell us in verse 1 that the people did gather themselves together throughout all the land to go up to the temple to hear the words of King Benjamin. There was a great number of them, it says in verse 2. And in verse 3, when it says that they also took the firstlings of their flocks to offer sacrifice and burnt offerings, I think a great message to all of us is what sacrifices are we willing to make for general conference? Well, these people assembled themselves around the temple. They pitched their tents round about, every man according to their family, with their tent door facing the temple. In verse 6. Now you think of the symbolism of that, of are our tent doors and our families and as individuals facing the temple or in its essence facing the Savior, or in essence facing the Savior's anointed ones, to speak to us and to teach us. Now in verse 9, My brethren, all you that have assembled yourselves together, that you can hear my words which I shall speak unto you this day. For I have not commanded you to come up and hither to trifle with the words which I shall speak, but that you should hearken To hearken is to listen and to obey. You should hearken unto me and open your ears that you may hear and your hearts that you may understand and your minds to know the mysteries of God. Think of the preparation for general conference that that verse points us to when we think of hearkening, of opening our ears, opening our hearts, opening our minds. What preparation are we engaged in right now as we prepare for a general conference? So, here are some suggestions to make the most and to get the most out of a general conference. And the first, I would say, number one, is to make spiritual preparation. What questions do you need answered? What strength do you need? What are you struggling with? And I love this from President Lorenzo Snow. If you have any desire to know certain matters that you do not understand, pray that these brethren in their talks may say something that shall enlighten your mind in reference to that which troubles you. And we will have a grand and glorious conference, and it's amazing how that happens in every every case. 
On another occasion, President Boyd K. Packer said that what you gain, speaking of general conference, what you gain will depend not so much upon their preparation, but on your preparation. And how much preparation goes into general conference? We know that many of our apostles and prophets are preparing for a general conference for a year or so. Some of them are preparing for months and months in in advance or prior to the conference. I know that uh, one of the general authorities in our area had a dinner. When I say our area, when we lived in Dallas, they had a dinner with one of the apostles, one of our current apostles. And this general authority, it was in Area Authority 70, asked one of our current apostles, are you ready for your conference talk? And our apostle said, not yet. I still have some more work to do. And later that evening, when that apostle slipped up to their study to work a little bit more on their conference talk, his wife said to that Area Authority 70, this is like his 50th draft of this talk. And my point is, what if we matched their preparation uh, with our own preparation? What if we, not that we have to you know, prepare by giving 60 conference talks, so to speak, or 50 drafts, but what if we took it that serious as well, that I really want to get something out of this? So President Uchtdorf, you know, along the lines of you know, making preparation for the conference, he said, ask as you know, he said, as you prepare for general conference, I invite you to ponder questions you need to have answered. Answers to your specific prayers may come directly from a particular talk or even from a specific phrase. In fact, at other times, answers may come in a seemingly unrelated word, phrase, or even song, he said. That was a talk that President Udorf gave about general conference in 2011. So, one of the best ways to prepare for general conference is to make sure that we have studied and dug in, that's my word there, to the previous conference. Or in other words, if we haven't really paid the price and studied and listened to the previous conference, why would the Lord reveal anything new to us at this conference? So once again, one of the best ways to prepare for a conference is to make sure that we have read and studied the material from the conference before. Now, this is from President Hinckley. He said, You have gathered to be encouraged, to be inspired, to be lifted and directed as members of the church. You have gathered to be helped with your temporal concerns, your failures, and your victories. You have come to hear the word of the Lord taught by those who, not of their own choosing, have been called as teachers in this great work. And you have prayed that you might hear things that will help you with your problems, add strength to your faith, and I invite you to listen. Listen, if you will, by the power of the Spirit to the speakers who will address you today and tomorrow, as well as this evening. And if you do so, our prophet at the time, President Hinckley, said, I do not hesitate to promise that you will be uplifted. Your resolution to do what is right will be stronger. You will find solutions to your problems and your needs, and you'll be led to thank the Lord for what you have heard. Isn't that a great statement from President Hinckley? And great promises there. We're always looking for those promises. You know, in my own personal life, I've seen that pattern, and it just seems to work every time, like I mentioned before, that as you attend a general conference or prepare for a general conference with a problem, a dilemma, some kind of challenge, I promise you that as you present that to the Lord, that that issue will be be directly presented. It will be presented and addressed at the conference in a way 
that you will know the Lord is speaking to you. Now, I don't know how this works, but it works every time. And we all can put it to the test. That it's almost a law that when you go to the Lord in prayer and present your problems to Him and tell Him that you want answers from the conference, He always finds a way to deliver that. Elder Robert D. Hales once said that in conferences, we can receive the word of the Lord meant just for us. One member testified that as I listened to your address, I was astounded. Your talk was a was personal revelation directly from the Lord to my family. I've never experienced such a strong manifestation of the Spirit in my life as those minutes when the Holy Ghost spoke directly to me. Another said, I've never before felt so profoundly that a talk was being given to me. Elder Hale said, this is possible because the Holy Ghost carries the word of the Lord unto our hearts in terms that we can understand. And when I take notes at conference, I do not always write down exactly what the speaker is saying. I note the personalized direction that the Spirit is giving me. President Hinckley added this, this when he, he, he helped explain how these conference talks are given and assigned and, and the process a little bit. He said that every speaker is told how much time they'll have. Now, I'm sure they are encouraged. You, you've got to end right on time. None of them, though, is told what to speak about. And yet all the talks seem to harmonize one with another, each a thread and the tapestry of the grand and beautiful pattern. I think nearly everyone in this vast audience can now say of one or more of the talks that was intended just for me. That is exactly what I needed to hear. And I believe it. I've had that occasion, and many of you have too, where we were just receiving a direct answer to a prayer. Sometimes those answers come later. Or in other words, I'm reading that talk months or even a few years later, and answers to prayer come, and it's incredible. Number two, the second way to prepare for general conference, I would say, is just listen carefully to the speakers and the Spirit. And President Kimball said, look, it's not so much what has been said or what's being said in their conference messages that's important. What's important is what you hear. And by the way, what you hear from the Spirit, what we hear from the Spirit, may be very different than what the speaker actually was saying. President Kimball also encouraged the saints to make copious notes of the thoughts that come to our mind as the brethren have addressed us. So that was number two. Number three, after the conference is over, and we'll talk more about this in our next episode, but after the conference is over, we have a great responsibility to read and to study those messages. <clears throat> now, in the old days, we had to get a copy of the Ensign or the Liahona to read their messages. Today, we can go right online. In fact, today, those messages pop right up on our phone, usually by Wednesday or Thursday, following the general conferences. President Kimball said this, I hope that you will get a copy of the conference talks and underline the pertinent thoughts and keep it with you for continual reference. No text or volume outside of the standard works of the church should have such a prominent place on your personal library shelves. President Harold B. Lee said it a little bit differently, but he said, if you want to know what the Lord would have the saints know and, and to have his guidance and direction for the next six months... Get a copy of the proceedings from this conference and you'll have the latest word of the Lord as far as the saints are concerned. President Monson, you know, he added this and I thought this was great, but 
He talked about how, look, as he was concluding the general conference in 2012 in October, that, look, these these messages are going to be published in the Ensign Eliahona. Now, listen to what he says. As we read and study them, we will be additionally taught and inspired. May we incorporate into our daily lives the truths found therein. And they said, I have found in my own life that I gain even more from these inspired sermons when I study them in greater depth later, right? The idea is, is later. And I know that. I mean, I've had that, those experiences just like many of you have had, where I've actually had the experience of reading a conference talk, studying it, studying it receiving new revelation, new insight, light and illumination, only to say to myself, wait, did I was I here when they gave that talk? I don't even remember them giving that talk. And of course it was only a a little while ago, but I'm like it was like new revelation, right? Our prophet President Nelson said, I exhort you to study the messages of this conference frequently, even repeatedly during the next six months. Look for ways to incorporate these messages in your family home evenings, your gospel teaching, your conversations with family and friends, and even your discussions with those not of our faith. Many good people will respond to the truths taught in this conference when offered in love. And your desire to obey will be enhanced as you remember and reflect upon what you have felt these past days. Now, I know for myself and I know from others that there are great ways to keep these messages alive in our hearts and our minds after they're given. I know for myself that's going to look like listening to the messages uh you know from an audio you know from an audio perspective um listening to them as i walk or jog or drive in the car but it's also going to consist of reading the messages and marking them up and highlighting them and that all takes place in the month or two after the general conference and then as we approach the next conference those same talks come out again to be listened to and to be read to get ready for the next general conference. And this way we're keeping the words of the living prophets in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls constantly. You know, Elder Lowell M. Snow once said that this conference, which I'm sure we could say that every conference is a modern Liahona, he said. The teachings of this conference are the compass of the Lord. And in the coming days, you may, as Lehi did, walk out to your front door and find a Liahona or ensign or another church publication in your mailbox. And as with the Liahona of old, this new writing will be plain and easy to read and will give you and your family understanding concerning the ways and the paths of the Lord. I think it's incredible that we have the resources that we have today to be able to listen and to hear and to read and to study. And I just can't believe that by Wednesday or Thursday of the week after conference, those talks are on our phones, in our gospel library, on our iPads, on our computers, for reading and studying. And like many of you, I remember where when it took a month to get the ensign in the mail from the conference proceedings. In October, it came in November. And you're reading these talks and thinking, wow, do I even remember listening to this one, right? It was a while back. I still remember a great lesson I was taught years ago. I was walking home from school. I was a BYU student at the time, married. And I was walking home with a friend that uh, we actually lived in the same apartment complex. And we walked to our mailboxes. And out of his mailbox, he pulled out an ensign. It was the month of May. 
And so he pulled out an ensign with the April General Conference proceedings. And I remember he said to me, you know what, I'm going to have a feast. And he actually grabbed his magazine, walked over to a tree on the property where we lived, sat down and just started reading. And I remember thinking, wow, we don't even get that magazine. These magazines now have been made (laughs) for all of us to have. They don't even cost anymore. And so I would encourage all of us to once again, there's just no excuse now not to have those access to those conference talks, but to read them and to study them in depth. Now, the last piece of counsel here, to hearken to the words of our prophets. And I think our prophets are great examples of how you hearken to those words. President Kimball said, and I know I keep quoting President Kimball, he just had a lot to say about general conference. But he said, many suggestions have been given that will help you as leaders in the perfection of your work. Many helpful thoughts have been given for the perfection of our own lives. And that, of course, is the basic reason for our coming. While sitting here, I've made up my mind that when I go home from this conference, this night, there are many, many areas of my life that I can perfect. And I've made a mental list of them. And I expect to go to work as soon as I get through with this conference. Or in other words, as soon as I get home, I'm going to work on this stuff. And I'm always so grateful for that. What a great perspective from our prophet. If a prophet says, I need to work on some stuff and I'm going to go home and try it, then wow, I think we should do the same, the very same thing. I would like to conclude this episode today with just being a little bit personal. And as I've reviewed from my own journal that I keep a record of some of these experiences, I, I recognize that Many of these experiences are very personal, and I don't think I would want to share them over the air publicly. But I can tell you that there have been times in my life where the messages from General Conference have had a huge impact and answered a prayer. I know that one time, President Dallin H. Oaks told a great story in General Conference back in the 1990s. It's the story that many of you are familiar with where he is... uh, kind of encounters a gang um, on the streets of Chicago one evening and a gun is pulled on him. And there's some things in that story, that experience that he shares that were quite significant. But at that time in our life, um, I had an experience. uh, We were having an experience with a person in our life. And there were some things in, in that message that Elder Oak shared and uh, that really were helpful to me and answered a prayer and helped me to know the course that we needed to take in dealing with a person in our life that was very mentally unstable. And uh, once again, that was a wonderful uh, experience and that I share with you. And I, once again, I'm, I'm trying to disguise it a little bit. I don't want to be too, too open with that one, but it was just a great answered prayer. But I will share this one. I don't mind sharing this one. It was another experience. This was a talk that President James E. Faust gave in conference years ago. He quoted Heber J. Grant that prosperity comes to those who observe the law of tithing. And when I say prosperity, I'm not thinking in terms of dollars and cents alone. What I count as real prosperity is the growth in the knowledge of God and in a testimony and in the power to live the gospel and to inspire our families to do the same. That's prosperity of the truest kind. And then President Faust quoted a, a woman from Japan. I cannot pronounce her name that 
well, so I'll just skip that part. But she said, My family and I were spending a day in the Japan Alps National Park. I was pregnant with our fourth child and was feeling rather tired, and so I lay down under the trees. I began thinking about our financial problems. My heart became overwhelmed. I burst into tears. Lord, we are full tithe payers. We have sacrificed so much. When will the windows of heaven open to us and have our burdens be lightened? I prayed with all of my heart, and then I turned to watch my husband and children playing and laughing together. Suddenly the Spirit testified to me that my blessings were abundant and that my family was the greatest blessing Heavenly Father could give to me. Well, I think that's a great experience and a great story for all of us. Um, And then President Faust said that many of us have had the windows of heaven open up for us, so we do not look upon tithing as a sacrifice, but a blessing and a privilege. At that time in my life when that talk was given, and it was 1998, my wife and I, I was in graduate school. I think we had six or seven children at the time. Financially, we were sucking wind, if I could just share it that way. And I wondered the same thing. When are these financial blessings going to come? When are we going to reach a point where we don't have to just struggle so much financially? And as I read that talk or heard that message, it just, it, it was an answered prayer. I mean, the Spirit entered my, my, my mind and my heart that day in a way that I knew that the Lord was answering a prayer and something I'd wondered about. Here's another one that as a bishop, I found myself getting very distracted with some very difficult members to deal with. And I found myself worried sick over some of these people and their problems. Now, I can't go into any detail, but I do know that some people can be placed in our past that could keep us from being able to focus on what's most important or who is most important. And sometimes as a bishop, I found myself spending 90% of my time and energy on someone who was really never going to change or really not going to follow counsel. And as I was struggling with this, and this was an adult member in my ward years ago, um, and I was just really, really overtaken by the demands of this person who, looking back now, recognized had a mental illness and was really struggling. But at that time, I read a talk, and I'll never forget it. I was jogging down the streets of McKinney, Texas, and uh, I read this talk by President Utdorf called, I Am Doing a Good Work. We are doing a great work and cannot come down. It was given in the in the May of, or the April of 2009 General Conference. And this was the story that some of you may remember, that not only President Utdorf talked about Nehemiah the prophet, And this phrase, I am doing a good work and cannot come down. But he talked about the story of the the airplane and that there was a burned out light bulb and that the pilots became so focused on the burned out light bulb, that burned out light bulb helped them them to know that the landing gear was down. Obviously, they couldn't land the plane. They were close to uh, where they were to land the plane at that airport in Florida but they couldn't detect if the landing gear was down and they got so fixed on the burned out light bulb that before they knew it, the plane crashed in the Florida Everglades, losing everyone on board. And President Udorf then went on to say that they found out later that all it was was the burned out light bulb. The landing gear actually was down, but the 10 cent light bulb had burned out. And I just thought at that time in my life, you know, that here I was as a bishop getting focused in the wrong area. I needed to to go back and focus on those youth 
and some of the people that I knew that I could help and that I needed to back out of that situation of trying to help someone that really didn't want my help, you know. Anyway, on another occasion, Elder Holland told a story in conference about John R. Moyle and about him walking the 22 miles to the Salt Lake Temple. This was as the talk as doves to our windows in 2000. But I just knew that as I heard that talk of John R. Moyle walking the 22 miles to the temple on a peg leg, that the youth in my ward at the time needed to walk to the temple as well. And that, that talk had a great impact on me and the youth of our ward. And there's many other experiences like that. Once again, some are very private and personal, and I won't, I won't get into all of those. But there's so many times that their words have impacted my life. I'll just share one last one. I can't resist. But we moved from Logan, Utah to McKinney, Texas. McKinney's a suburb of Dallas. And we took a little house hunting trip while we still were in Logan and came down to Texas for a weekend. And the only house we could find was a brand new home. There just weren't many homes in Texas that would hold eight children, you know what I mean? And so we're having a real, real trouble figuring that out. And the only house that we could find was, it was new. And at the time we were going to take a major loss on our home in, 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 the, in Logan, Utah. And we really were going to come to Texas with not much money to put the down payment down. And I just struggled with that. I just struggled. Can we afford this? Can we do it? How are we going to do it? I just didn't know. But I was jogging that morning. Boy, answers come when you jog. Maybe I need to start jogging more again. And as I was jogging and praying to myself, Heavenly Father, could we do this? Could we afford this house? How are we going to afford it? the title of President Hinckley's biography came to my mind. Go forward with faith. And it just kept coming. Go forward with faith. Go forward with faith. And I remember just smiling because I knew that that was the right place for us. And even though I didn't know how it was going to work out and I didn't know how we were going to afford it on our, on our income that we were going to be making and on the, on the financial challenge that we were in, I just knew that it was the right thing to do. Janie knew it was the right thing to do, and we went ahead and bought that house and moved there. We lived in that home for 11 years. It was one of the greatest experiences of our life. Our children thrived as we lived in that home and in that community. They accomplished wonderful things that we never even dreamed of. Our family became you know, a, an integral part of our ward and our stake, and we loved the people there so much. We were a part of that community. Our children did so well. Janie served in many callings, including in primary. She was the young women's president. She was the camp director. I was able to serve on the high council. I later became the bishop of that ward. There was just no question in our mind that we were supposed to be there. But it all came from the title of President Hinckley's book, Go Forward with Faith. Well, I want you to know how grateful I am for living prophets and for general conference. General Conference is always a time for me of a great outpouring of the Spirit. I'm going to close with one experience that, I know, and I already said I'm going to close, but I just can't help sharing this with you. I joined the church in July, at the end of July in 1981, and I went and lived in East Texas and attended a smaller college my first year. I couldn't go to BYU because I 
or even Rick's college because I had, I had just joined the church and I was already accepted to college and college was going to start a month after I was baptized. So I ended up going to this smaller college in East Texas. And our it, we lived in a branch. It was a branch. It wasn't even a ward. There wasn't even a building. They, we met like in a house. And I don't know why, because this was not 1930, but for some reason you would go to the branch and for a general conference they had an old wooden radio that they would put on the podium and just put the microphone up to the speaker. And once again, this was the 80s. Most churches had satellite, <laughs> satellites and, and television and everything else. So why we had to do it that way, I'm not sure. But I remember my friend told me, all right, this is how we do it. I had a great friend named Brian. And Brian had been a member of the church for most of his life, came from a strong family. And in Brian's family, they watched every session of General Conference. So for that very first conference that I attended as a brand new member, only a couple of months, maybe a month and a half, I sat in that, you know, I want to say chapel, but it was really like a house, you know, but I sat in that, in that chapel with Brian on Saturday for every session, for morning session, afternoon session, priesthood session that night, and then Sunday for those two sessions. And even though I didn't understand everything that was being taught, or, or in fact, a lot of it was probably over my head at that point in my life, but I remember the feeling and the strength and the power that came from hearing the words of those prophets, seers, and revelators. And I knew instantly that they were men of God for sure. And that experience in that little chapel in East Texas became the framework for the rest of our life. Our children grew up with that model of the general conferences on Saturday and Sunday. And we've never, we've never left that. I know Janie grew up the same way, where conference was just a very important part of their family life. And I know that there is great revelation and great strength and great power that can come from participating in a general conference. Thanks for being with me today. Thanks for indulging me to ramble a little bit and to pull a few stories out in different places, but I'm grateful for the spirit that reminds us of these things. Have a wonderful week and a wonderful general conference. <laughs>